Hi, I'm Mike Sklens, and this is Nintendo World Report's Connectivity Podcast, Episode 75, present podcast of Melodic Offworlder. On our first segment, Scott and Zach answer some listener mail questions, and after that, Tyler joins them for a discussion of Runner 2. We've also got a bonus segment with Scott and Johnny about outer space. and welcome to this segment of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. Today I'm joined by Zachary Miller. It's the Zach and Scott show again. Once again, we're back for more. Uh, we didn't burn the whole place down last time, so we thought we could try this one more time. Um, today we're going to read some listener mail, uh, talk about some Twitter uh, topic suggestions, and then move right along. <laughs> yep. So uh, it shouldn't be too bad. Uh, we have three emails that we've gotten over the past couple weeks. Um, I'll read this first one. It's actually a response in episode 73. We did the, uh, like games that are tied to important moments in our life type thing. And, um, we got a response with someone sharing his, uh, kind of game that's tied to uh, an important moment in his life that he'll always kind of remember. So this is Ryan from Anaheim, California. Go Ducks. And he says, (laughs) I guess he says, I just finished listening to episode 73 and I have a story about a non-Nintendo game that will forever be associated with a time in my life. This might not be a story you'll want to read on the show. I'm going to do it anyway because it's, (laughs) because it's kind of a downer. The game is Borderlands and it's what I was playing when my father was dying last year. I won't go into all the details, but I'm sure you understand or can at least imagine what it's like to have a close family member fade from your sight. It's hard to go about your normal life as if nothing is wrong. During this dark time, out of the blue, my brother-in-law decided we were going to play Borderlands. At the time, it seemed like a silly thing to do, but he understood that I needed something to escape into uh, to get my mind off of things I couldn't control. He was able to be there for my sister, but I'm alone and have no one to lean on. I think he figured he could be there for me if we played a game online. So for the following months, we played Borderlands, and it was a blessing. My adventures on Pandora couldn't solve my problems, but it helped me endure the difficult time. For that reason, Borderlands will always be a special game to me. I'll always associate it with that time in my life, but not in a bad way because it was a good thing when almost everything seemed so terrible. Dad passed away two days before Christmas, and soon after, we started playing Borderlands 2. And that is what he wrote. Uh, yeah, that's pretty tough. Now, I, I, I wanted to specifically talk about this because, Zach, I know, you know, you, you spent your fair share of time in the hospital. Um, yes. Has there ever been a particular game that it's kind of... Yeah, I don't know that you've kind of spent a lot of time with while being in the hospital or just games in general or when I was a young man, a younger boy, uh the hospital had a console on a rolling cabinet and it was a Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And it had Star Fox in it. Oh. And I don't know how old I was, maybe 12 or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was in there for a week, maybe 10 days cuz When you're that young, they keep you in there instead of sending you home with an IV. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I played the hell out of Star Fox. (laughs) And that was really, really fun. I also played, and and Johnny will like this, um, at a previous day, I played a lot of uh, Mylon Secret Castle. Oh, okay. Could not figure that game out, but damn, I liked it. That was uh, NES, right? Yeah, NES. I think Uh, I had that game. I think, you know, it's weird. I think one time I tried to buy on eBay, like a gold cartridge, uh, the original Zelda, hmm. or maybe it was Zelda 2, and he was like, sorry, I ran out, but here, have this. <laughs> <laughs> have Mylon instead. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, not really what I bought, but okay. Do you know if Mylon is on the virtual console? Mm, 
No, I don't but think I, it is. I'd like it to be. I could tell you right now. I, I don't think it is. Okay. Uh, so those two games, but then, um, I don't know, the older I got, like the last few years, I've been in the hospital more often. And, eh, you know, I just kind of played my 3DS here and there. Last time I was in the hospital, I was reviewing Code of Princess, so I played a lot of that. But as for searing, seared into my mind memories, it's Star Fox and Mylon. Sure. And it, it is on the Virtual Console. It came out in 2007. Oh, hell yes. So, yeah, I mean, that, it was a year after launch. I mean, within the first year of launch, that's pretty wild. I'm going to buy that. Yeah, there you go. And read buy a fact. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How about you? With what? Games in the hospital? Well, games associated with, yeah, I guess hospitals. <laughs> well, as I say, I mean, I've never really, you know, I, I haven't had ever an extended stay in the hospital for myself. Um, when Tegan was born, we were in the hospital for two days after that, just doing the whole, you know, hang out in the hospital for two days after your baby's born type thing. <laughs> um, but, I mean, nothing was wrong, but that's just what you do. You stay in the hospital for, you know, a day or two afterwards. And I brought Pokemon White, I think I had, or probably Black. Well, whichever one I had. I played a lot of that, but it wasn't necessarily memorable. It was just sort of something to do while we yeah. were in the hospital. So, no, I had no, no particular game tied to, to hospital stays necessarily. There was a, <clears throat> a, a letter I read that was posted on a lot of game news sites uh, not too long ago, maybe a few weeks. It was a... A girl wrote in to the producers uh, or the director of Journey, and she wrote in and said that her dad was dying of cancer in the hospital, mm-hmm. and he was on his last few days, and they played Journey together, and they both loved it, and now she can't turn on the game and get to the title screen without weeping, No, oh. and uh, I thought that was a, a, a nice story. Yeah, that is. Also depressing. It is. But, but nice. You know. Nice. Yeah. That's life, I suppose. You know that that stuff happens. And Journey, you know, it's a it's a good game to play when you're on your deathbed. Right, I, I think so. Because yeah, I would agree with that. It's not you know, it's not like Call of Duty. <laughs> oh, I just mean the the journey itself. You've played the game, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, have. yeah, yeah. I have. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like you know, there's like some meaning behind it. I think yeah. at the at the end of it, you're kind of like, I don't know, you feel almost better for having played it. Call of Duty would be <laughs> an way. interesting last game. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Well, thank you, Ryan, for sharing the story. Um, good story. That is. Uh, hopefully you weren't also looking forward to Aliens Colonial Marines um, as a way to sort of bridge the gap uh, since it's the same developer. <laughs> oh, my gosh, Cause... that's true. Well, <laughs> that was... according to all the news I've been reading, not really. <laughs> yeah, that's true. In name alone, I suppose. Yeah. So, although I guess Borderlands 2 is better for it because it sounds like a lot of money from Aliens Clone and Marines <laughs> went there. Got so. sunk into that. Have, you, maybe it, have you played that Aliens game yet, Scott? Um, honestly, I will at some point. I, I think it's on Steam. I'm sure at some point it'll be on sale or something. Oh, and see, I, I thought you pre-ordered it. No, I didn't. Oh, no. Okay. I, 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 I don't really pre-order anything. I think it's kind of a scam. I mean, it's yeah. not like these things ever run out. Maybe like some weird Atlas game or something at some point, but... This kind of stuff, no. Especially yeah. when I would just play it on my computer and just download it. So True. Yeah. But I, I've played all the other Aliens games. I love the Aliens, you know, films and everything. So, like, part of me just feels like I have to just to kind of just know <laughs> and see it. Catch like, up I feel with obligated. Them. Yeah, but I'm I'm in no rush to play a really terrible game for $60. Did, so. you, did you play the Alien Trilogy, that first-person shooter for, like, the 3DO or something? 
It was for the Jaguar. It's Jaguar. funny that this is this has come up again because Andy and I talked about this before on a segment. Oh, nice. Um, it was like our Halloween segment, like scary game segment. Oh, that, I remember that. Yeah, With the face huggers. Exactly. Well, I didn't play that one, but the the PC Alien vs Predator game, the original Alien vs Predator on PC, I played is that. really really good, and that's the one with like the face huggers and stuff. Yeah, um, that one's awesome. So I played that. I played AVP two, and then I played the re release of Aliens vs Predator that was like on consoles. Yeah, a few years I, ago. Yeah. Um, was that so I played good? all those? It was okay. Definitely better than Colonial Marine sounds. <laughs> um. Now, did you ever play an old arcade game, possibly by Konami, but I'm not sure, that was like a side-scrolling shooter based on Aliens? Yeah, well, not a shooter, right? Like the the beat-em-up? Well, no, no, this wasn't Aliens vs. Predator. Uh, This was uh, an Aliens game with a character like Ripley, but it wasn't Ripley. They couldn't get her like this, so it's a red-headed person. Um, (laughs) It it was an arcade game? An arcade game, and it had... uh, you just kind of walk through the level with, and you get different weapons, like a uh, different weapon drops. So your your weapon type switches, and aliens of all kinds come flying at you, and you shoot them. Huh? No, I've never played that. I played the Alien Three for Super Nintendo. Oh which yeah, sounds very similar to what you're describing, actually. Um, yeah. But no, I never played that one actually. I should look that up on the internet. It's really cool. Huh? Yeah, I, I sank a lot of quarters into that back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to do that. I've never, yeah, I don't even know this one. It, it, was it just called Aliens or? Yep. Huh. Okay. I'll check it out. Um, so our next email isn't exactly a question, but we can use it as sort of a jumping off point. It's, it's a little long, but we'll, we'll do our best here. Uh, so this is from Wilson Robinson and he says, it's no secret that the Wii U isn't lighting up the sales charts. There seems to be a lot of Nintendo Doom predictions circulating as always, but I find it really odd that so many of these people seem to ignore the fact that every other Nintendo system had a killer app either at launch or just a few weeks after. NES had Mario Brothers, SNES had Mario World, N64 had Mario 64, GameCube had Smash Brothers Melee, and Wii had Wii Sports. Every single one of those games were either available on launch day or soon after, and they were also the best-selling game for the respective system, if I'm not mistaken. Now, Nintendo Land and New Super Mario Bros. U will surely be near the top of the Wii U's best sellers at the end of its lifespan, but the key difference is that neither are system sellers. It's been frequently discussed that Nintendo Land doesn't convey the message of the Wii U like Wii Sports did for the Wii, which has caused it not to be a must-have title. It simply lacks that I've-got-to-try-it appeal of Wii Sports. In regards to Mario, it may sound strange to some that I don't think New Super Mario Bros. U is a killer app, but allow me to explain. While New Super Mario Bros. Wii sold incredibly well, I would argue that it wasn't a system seller either. It was a title that a lot of casual gamers would see on a store shelf and then buy because they remembered that they have a Wii tucked away and recalled (laughs) memories of Mario on the NES. The difference between Mario Wii and Mario U is that the former came out after tens of millions of Wiis had already been sold. Mario U will likely sell very well once more people own the Wii U, but it simply isn't a game that's going to make very many people compelled to go out and buy the new system. I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse here, but I think it bears repeating that once the killer apps finally arrive, the Wii U will become Nintendo's latest and greatest hit. Thanks for reading my letter, and sorry it was so long. Your friend, your fan and friend, Wilson Robinson. Yeah. Thank you, Wilson. Um, Uh, Let's just, just, just to say one thing. It wasn't Smash Brothers Melee that was the GameCube uh, system seller. It was Rogue Leader. Oh, yeah? You think so? Oh, yeah, because it was a launch game. Melee was not. But Melee came out with, like, in a month. It came out, like, that December following. Well, okay, but 
I bought my GameCube based solely on uh, uh, Rogue Leader, and I'm sure Rogue a lot Leader. of other people did too. Yeah, I remember just seeing like preview coverage for that game and thinking it looked so amazing. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. It was a very good game, and it, it did look gorgeous um, for the time and everything. It's still the best looking game on Wii. On Wii? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> um. So yeah, no, I th- I think he's right. I mean, I think that's the problem. There was a lot of good Wii U launch software, but nothing that made you have to buy a Wii U. Like, I'm happy I have a Wii U. I've played some good games, but if someone, you know, with not a lot of money was like, do I need a Wii U right now? I mean, the answer is no. No. You know? I mean, you can live without playing New Super Mario Brothers U. Because he's right. You know, I mean, it's just, it's another 2D Mario game. It's great that it's there. People will can always pick it up. I'm sure it will be continuously one of the Wii U's best, you know, sellers month to month to month. Just the way that New Super Mario Brothers was for the DS. Um, but yeah, it's not something you have to run out and get. No. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know what that game's gonna be. The Nintendo it, Doom predictions, I mean, after the NPDs, I mean, they're kind of, you know, I can see that. <laughs> right. It's not like, it's not like these, uh, these comments that Nintendo's done for are like ill-founded or something. It's I like mean. PSP numbers. <laughs> Right, I mean, there's there's good reason to say that stuff, but yeah, I mean, you have to imagine that they're that they'll bounce back. Yeah, um, I'm I'm sure they'll bounce back. You know, long after E3, when all those games they promised at the Nintendo Direct, they start production on and you know actually make. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, it is really weird to me that, and it's, I've, I'm sure we've talked this to death that they didn't have more in the pipe. In the beginning. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, that's kind of been a consistent problem over the past few years. I mean, they sure at, weren't making Wii games. Well, that's exactly my point. I mean, look at the Wii. I mean, of course, you know, when you're launching a new console, you're going to let your, you know, your other console kind of fade into the night, if you will. But, right. I mean, over the past two years, there haven't really been a lot of great Wii releases. I mean, save for a few games that weren't even guaranteed to come over here, like Xenoblade Chronicles right. and Last Story. Um, I mean, outside of that, you really haven't had any good first-party games, even. Um, it's that Kirby collection. The Kirby collection, right, exactly. Um, so now you've had this sort of two- or three-year span where it seems like Nintendo really hasn't produced much of anything. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's good. Maybe there's something really big on the horizon that we'll learn about at E3. Hopefully. Um, yeah. I had a bad feeling about that Nintendo Direct because... They were showing off renders. Right. They, they could have, I think I've said this before, they could have made those the day before. Yeah. I don't know. Right. No, it wasn't like the 3DS one we just had where it was like a lot of concrete stuff was shown, a lot of stuff that's yeah. coming out this year. It, the Wii one was a lot of just like stuff. conceptual stuff. Yeah. The, the 3DS one was this stuff is clearly in development. Right. Right now. Right. Whereas the Wii U one, I felt like. Well, we got to do something. Let's let's give people what they've been asking for for a long time. Draw up some pictures, Bob. <laughs> yeah, make Yoshi out of yarn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and tell everyone we've got a 3D Mario on the way. <laughs> what? There you go. What? No. <laughs> but um, yeah. So it is. It is kind of weird. I mean, I feel like they're kind of falling into the trap they fell into with the GameCube, but without Smash Brothers. I mean, mm. I think launching the GameCube with uh, Luigi's Mansion really wasn't the greatest uh, idea. You know, coming Weird from the choice. N64. 
Um, it just didn't, it didn't excite people. Um, and you know, they did have Smash Brothers within a month, so, so that was right. good, but, and but Pikmin. the, and well, yeah, but Pikmin was, I mean, that was the first entry in the series. I don't know yeah. that anyone saw Pikmin and was like, I have to get a GameCube for that. That's, no, I think it was true. like a pleasant surprise. And that's what I think a lot of these Wii U games are right now. They're like sort of the games that you would pick up in conjunction with one huge, like mega hit and that you would be like, oh wow, th- this is good too. These are good games to play alongside this one game I bought the system for, right. but there isn't that one game. Right. Oh, you know, apart from diehards who just want to play every single Mario game or yeah. will just buy anything Nintendo puts out, which is most of us <laughs> who record this podcast <laughs> and who listen to it. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll see. It, it's interesting. I think it's a really interesting time for Nintendo. I, I don't think they're going to go third party within the next five years as some people are predicting, <laughs> but I do wonder, you know, what they're, I don't know. I mean, it's weird to look so ahead to the next console already, but I wonder what this experience is doing to just their idea of the home console. And, and Interesting to think they might uh, just focus on handhelds next time. Yeah, uh, but I've even that, that theory before, too. Yeah. And and you, I guess that's a good point to look at the 3DS, because I think two years ago, I mean, the 3DS is two years old now, a lot of people were like, you know, you can't launch a handheld anymore, the cell phone market, mobile gaming is so huge. I mean, this is a waste of time. Um, and it, it seemed like that was going to be the case, that the 3DS was just sort of dead in the water. And now it's incredibly popular, and everyone right. has a 3DS, and it, it's reaching that level where the DS was. Um, so who it's, knows? Maybe, yeah, it's maybe because they started coming out with some games. And right. what's interesting is that just like the Wii U, uh, the 3DS has, like, no Western support. Right. Uh, and really no third-party support. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I'm sure the Wii U will will pick up, um, but I think we we are starting to see kind of a point of diminishing returns uh, in the in not just the Nintendo space but the the console space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But especially after that Sony conference, but we can talk about that later. Sure, absolutely. Um, all right, so let's move on to our third and last letter. Uh, it's from Travis. He, in parentheses, T for travesty. I'm assuming that's his NWR handle. Um, or just a cool nickname he likes for himself. And he says, so I just bought Gunman Clive with some spare money I had left over on my 3DS. I was shocked to see how good a $2 game could be. This game is awesome. Anyway, I was wondering, what were some of the best games you guys got on the cheap lately? Also, what were some of the worst games you guys paid full retail for? Love the show and keep up the great work, Travis. Uh, Gunman Clive is awesome. Yeah. It is. And I, I think that's so cool to have a $2 game on the 3DS. I think there should be more of that. Oh, I agree. Um, it's just really kind of, I mean, talking about mobile gaming, I mean, that's right in line with what people kind of expect to pay for these types of games. And I think that's great that they were able to do it, that Nintendo didn't make them, you know, $8 make it, or something. Yeah, or 5 at least or something, you know, that was cool that they got the prices where they did. Um, games I got on the cheap. Well, I mean, nothing, nothing that's just inherently cheap. I mean, I've gotten some, some good, like, Steam sale stuff. Yeah. Um, like, I got the whole Walking Dead collection for, like, half off or 75% off wow. just when, one day on a Steam sale. So, yeah, I paid, like, under $10 for the whole thing, uh, which is awesome because th- those games, those games are so good. Or I guess it's just one continuous game broken up in episodes. But, yeah, very, very good game. Um, and then Hotline Miami is very good. Um, you should definitely check that out if you haven't. Very awesome PC game. Um, Hotline Miami. Yeah, it has like just some amazing music, 
and um, it's kind of like like eight bit looking. And it's like overhead. And it kind of it almost kind of looks like an old GTA game before GTA oh, three. And but like the whole game is like you go into uh, like buildings and you just beat the shit out of guys. <laughs> um, but like if you get hit once, you're dead, and if you hit them once, they're dead. So like you have to be kind of careful oh, with how you do things. But yeah, you pick up different weapons or bats or guns or just all kinds of stuff and it's like super violent and 8-bit and it's kind of a weird little story it kind of reminds me of like fight club or something um but super cool great music and i think that game's like ten dollars or maybe even a little less than that um yeah and that's a very cool game uh what about you zach what about some cheap games lately uh well i got pokemon white 2 for 15 bucks at best buy just because it was a sale Yep. Um, and like I said last week, still addicted to it. Yeah. Um, but but cheap. You know, I got uh, the Dead Space iOS game uh, for like ninety nine cents. Oh yeah, that's and a good deal. It is a good deal. Uh, unfortunately, it's on my iTouch. Um, oh. So playing <laughs> it is difficult. Uh, I'm going to try and get it on my yeah, wife's sure. tablet because maybe I can play it better there. Um. But that was a good deal. I'm sure, I think yeah. I got Jetpack Joyride for free, and God, that game's addicting. That game is, yeah. I remember I played through the whole thing once, like, un- you know, unlocking everything. Yeah, I, I wish it's that good. soundtrack was the soundtrack to my life. <laughs> yeah, that's a real good game. But um, I can't think of really too many games that I just found that were cheap. That are just always cheap. Just yeah, always that's what cheap. I was trying to think yeah. of. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure, especially, you know, like on a like a console or a handheld. Yeah, um, like I, I guess I've gotten some virtual console games that were reasonably cheap. Yeah. On the 3DS. But, no, not really. Uh, but I'll tell you an expense, uh, full-price game that I will always regret buying at full <laughs> price uh, is, um, God, what was it called? <laughs> it was Batman Vengeance. It was the... <coughs> old GameCube, PS2, Xbox, Batman animated series game. Oh, wow, yeah. And, you know, it looked so good in previews. Um, and then the game itself was so mishandled. There were two Batman games like that, weren't there? There was another one uh, that was more realistic, yeah. Um, I forget what that one was called, but it was... A little tried to be a, m- a little more like what Arkham Asylum was, uh-huh. uh But it, I, I think it got a one in EGM. Oh jeez, okay. I forget what that one was called, but it was widely hated. Because like if you're if you're describing the one I'm thinking of, I I think I like that one, the the Vengeance one. No, it's, I think yeah, it's it's just yeah, it's based on the anime series and you're fighting the Joker and stuff, but but. Like, the controls were a little off, and it was a very incredibly short game. Mm-hmm. Like, a three-hour game. And oh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. I did, like, you know, the, the probably the only reason I really liked it is, didn't it have, like, cutscenes that looked like the animated series and yes. stuff? Had, like, it, really good cutscenes and stuff. That's the part I liked about it. But the cutscenes were always, like, 20 seconds long. Right. And uh, so whenever, and, and one of the funny things is you unlock the cutscenes to watch anytime you want. Uh, as you uh, see them. So I spent a lot of time just watching the cutscenes. Watching those, sure. (laughs) Uh, But the game itself, I I don't think I liked very much. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and and Tetris Worlds, that's another one that I... Mm, Yeah. I I, I don't know, I was in college, I had some money to burn, (laughs) 
Well, I like it Tetris. Was, sure, and it was, it was just the that or that version of Tetris ever made. Right, it was that or drugs, and you thought, well, I guess we'll just. I know. I'm already. I'm already on a bunch of drugs. <laughs> yeah, you're set. <laughs> you prescribed. Um, recently, Resident Evil Six was a really bad full purchase. Um, but luckily I sold it on eBay for $50 and got I'm most of my money back. I'm 20. Yeah, right? It's bad. It's bad. Uh, <laughs> I, but I, I think that's it. For the most part, I'm usually pretty careful about just going out and buying games for full price if I don't know anything about them. Yeah, I try to, too. I try to, you know, do a little research or kind of know what I'm getting into ahead of time. Resident Evil 6, I was like, well, the reviews are sort of not great, but I played all of the other ones, right? I should give it a try. <laughs> can't, it can't be that bad. But I really hated it. Yeah, it was really bad. I feel sorry for people who bought uh, Colonial Marines full price. Yeah, for sure. I work with a guy, and he's kind of a he's kind of a weird dude. Like we're not. I wouldn't say we're friends, but you know, we just sort of we work together. And he he always will kind of come up to me and just tell me the most random stuff I should check out, like weird movies he watches on Netflix that I'll I'll (laughs) never ever watch. but he came up to me one day at work, like like last week, and he's like, "Hey man, you can't check out that Aliens game." I was like, "Ah, you know, I I don't know, you know, I, I I haven't heard a lot of great things about it." And he's like, "Dude, I picked it up last night. Game is awesome, unbelievable." And he's like, "Listen, these reasons, I I couldn't believe it. I mean, he, it's like he's playing a totally different game. He's like, <laughs> the game. I mean, the game looks great. Like it looks really good. And I mean, I've I've watched videos of it. And it doesn't no. look good. It looks really bad. And he's just talking about how great it is and." He's playing whatever version EGM got. Yeah, right? <laughs> 9.0. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of funny. That is funny. But, uh, yeah, so I think that's it for, for that one. Yeah. Can't think of another game I played, paid a lot of money for that I was unhappy with right now. But, yeah. Um, let me see here. Okay. So we've gone a little while, but let's let's maybe jump to some of these Twitter uh, conversation starters here and, and see if there's anything we want to talk about. Yeah. Um. Why don't you pick? You you've got the list there. Anything you want to? Uh, let's you approach? Let, let, let's talk about your impressions or well, our impressions of the PS4. Sure. Yeah. Um. So that was announced last week, middle of the week, on Wednesday, and I was surprised at the length of the conference. First and foremost, um, you're kind of used to these Nintendo Directs now where it's just like, here's, minutes long. Right, here's 50 to 20 minutes of stuff, and like, that's it, and now we'll talk about some more later. This, I mean, this felt like a full E3 kind of thing. I mean, like, even longer than that. Like you know? two hours long. Right, I mean, this was like, they, they didn't hold anything back for the most part. I mean, they, they really did pull out all the stops, um, and I, I was very much surprised at that. Um, I think when it started, whoever came out first was like, you know, over the next couple of hours, we're going to do this. And I was like, couple of hours? Are you serious? <laughs> and uh, I watched most of it. I, I missed kind of the beginning because I was coming home from work or something. But I, I caught once they started, like, showing actual game footage and everything. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's exciting. I, I think new hardware is always, always exciting. Um more so than just, like, a single game announcement. Right. I, there's just something... I mean, it's the same way, like, getting a new computer or getting a new phone or anything. There's just something kind of fun about getting new hardware. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm I'm excited that it's this year. And, uh, yeah, no, I don't know. None, none of the game stuff really blew me away, necessarily. Yeah, um, me neither. It's just like, eh, okay. Franchises I don't care about. Exactly. Killzone, don't care. Um, yeah, and, and nothing... Yeah, what was it? Drive Club or... Right, Drive Club and uh, yeah. Infamous. 
Oh yeah, Infamous. Yeah, that didn't really do anything for me. Uh, Watch Dogs looked really good. Yeah, Watch Dogs did look cool. And then apparently that's coming to Wii U. We found out that week too. Yeah. Which I'm interested to see how that looks compared to the version that's on these next gen consoles. Oh yeah. Uh, I imagine it'll be a little bit of a step down, but who knows? Maybe it won't be so bad. Uh, or it could be really bad. Like, remember the um, Wii version of Dead Rising? <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah, I do. That was really bad. <laughs> it looked like somebody smeared uh, Vaseline on the, uh, across your TV. Yeah, you could only have like 10 zombies on the screen at once compared to the original Dead Rising. Right. Where it's just like, like waves of, of zombies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was, uh, that that was, was bad. That was embarrassing. But yeah, I don't know. What did you think about it? Um, I was just kind of underwhelmed. I mean, um, mainly because I'm irritated that they're pushing streaming so hard and always online. And and you just know that stuff's going to be subsidized. Um, I'm sure it'll be wrapped into PlayStation Plus. Right, so you'll have to pay for all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they somebody said afterwards, like a reporter asked one of the guys, so is it is it going to be required that you you know, have this uh, streaming service to download things where you can, you know, play things as you download them. And he said, no, it's not required, but we encourage it, which to me means, <laughs> well, we hope you buy it. Right. Yeah. Um, so that annoyed me. Uh, I'm I'm really more annoyed that PS3 games won't work on it. No. Yeah. No backwards compatibility. That, that really sucks. Yeah. And it's, it's because it's a different processor or you architecture. See, I, I, or I don't know I, what I, any I, of that means. Yeah, I don't really get that anymore. I mean, I understand back in the day going from console to console, but at this point, I mean, these things are just, I mean, they're computers, right? Yeah. And I under—I understand that you, it's not like you can play a game that was designed for Windows 95 on Windows 7 right now, at least not easily. But when it's just one generation apart, I don't think there's really any excuse for not the games not being able to run. No. I mean, how? how I know there was the cell process and all that stuff, it, you know, that kind of made the PS3 difficult to... Uh, port, you know, from the 360. It, it was different, but come on. I mean, it's your architecture. Yeah, you just, should have a way to make them work on each other. Throw a cell chip in the PS4. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how any, any of it works, but, um, you know, and, and the other thing that makes me nervous is that um, just like the PSP, uh, all of my discs are now worthless. Um, all my disc-based games. Because, you know, remember when the PSP went to the go? Yeah. And you remember there was there were rumors. There were rumors that maybe you'll be able to, like, send in your UMDs to Sony and they'll give you a voucher. Right, like you could transfer code. Right, like yeah. transfer it to digital. Yeah. yeah, and that never happened. That's not right. going to happen here either. No. Uh, if you want to play Resident Evil 6 on your PS4, you'll have to stream it from Gaikai. Yeah. And that's going to suck. That's going to eat up all your download limit, by the way. Right. If you're, you're, yeah, if your internet, if your ISP has some sort of cap on how much you can download. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, too, as, as we kind of move into this next generation. I mean, with such a push, I mean, not just Sony, but even Nintendo with every game virtually being available for right. download. I mean, these caps are going to have to get raised or removed altogether, which they won't get removed altogether. So hopefully they get raised or there's going to be... This weird bottleneck that's going to be preventing people from making this next, you know, step technologically. So yeah, it's like the technology is outpacing the, I don't know, availability of consumer uh, yeah. options. I guess right. 
well, an options is the right word. It's not like it's outpacing like the infrastructure because we could just have unlimited oh, yeah. downloads and, and and be able to just you know stream and download as much as we want. <laughs> so it's going to be up to these these providers to recognize that these caps are going to have to change because demand is changing. So the only other thing I took away from it is that the controller is hideous. Just hideous. <laughs> It's kind of it's kind of big and bulky now. Yeah. I like the the sticks are a little more concave. Um, yeah, that is I li- nice. Because I like the sticks better on the 360 controller, and then I like everything else, you know, like bu- button layout and everything on the PS3 controller. So I think that's that'll be nice. Your thumbs will fit in it comfortably. Sure. Um, that, but that big weird looking touchpad on the top. Yeah, that they didn't even really show much of like anything using it. Yeah. Um, I like that you've got the share button though, right there on the controller. So at any moment you can just you know share images or video of what you're doing. That is cool. Uh, the That's the cool. ability for other people to remotely <laughs> take over your game. That makes me, that made me laugh a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's cool. I mean, it, it's kind of a, like a extension of the Miiverse stuff where you can, you know, post and, and post yeah. screenshots right from what you're doing. Except this, it looks like it will be linked to like social networks and stuff. So like right. it was already linked to what you're doing instead of being its own separate, you know, service. Yeah. Not, I, I, not that that's necessarily better. I don't think I'd want all my Miiverse stuff like flooding my Twitter t- timeline. You know, I don't want all the dorks right. that I follow to like be tweeting about beating a level in Mario and stuff. Right. <laughs> like I like to keep that in Miiverse and then just keep my normal nonsense in Twitter. So I'm yeah. fine with that. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be, uh, interesting to see E3. I really hope they have franchises I give a crap about. Uh, do, 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 you, do you care? Are there any Sony franchises you do give a crap about? Oh, sure. I mean, if if they made a real Ratchet and Clank game. Okay, sure. Uh, not one of these, uh, you know, offshoot games. Um, or if they made a uh, a new Uncharted. Oh, yeah. Uncharted better than Uncharted good. 3. Yeah. Um, and, you know, th- things like that. There are Sony franchises I like a lot. I- I'd say God of War, but there's a God of War right around the corner. Yeah. I don't really care about God of War, but Uncharted would be good. Yeah, and and uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, the graphics do look better. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, the uh, individual fibers on Jake's untucked, uh, not Jake, <laughs> uh, Nathan's untucked shirt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like dynamic. It'd be sort of like Batman, but even more so. We have like dynamic uh, damage done to his yeah, or yeah. dynamic damage <laughs> done to his clothing and everything. Yeah, that would be good. <sighs> Um, but yeah, the same as you, the, all the game footage didn't really do anything for me, but I'm just excited about the prospect of, of new hardware. It's, yeah, it's got a lot of, uh, potential. Yeah, but my PS3's broken, I was looking forward to this as, you know, a, a way to replace my PS3, but now it doesn't nope. play anything on the PS3, <laughs> so I don't know if I should buy a PS3, or I don't know what to do, because I still got the games, I can mean, you, some stuff I had Can you turn beaten. the thing on? Would, would you be able to, uh, save your save files and stuff? Nope. I mean, it it literally powers on for like one second and then, and then the yellow light starts to flash. So it's done. I I could, I think to repair it is like 100 or 150. And it's just like, I, it's so stupid to pay that money when it's like, this is right around the corner. So I don't know. I'll probably just end up selling all my PS3 stuff and just move on to the PS4 and just cut my losses. It's not like there's anything I was dying to finish on the PS3, but I did have some games, but. Oh well. You won't be able to finish Resident Evil Six. Oh wait, you uh, you sold that. Sold that quick. <laughs> Within a few days of buying it. Oh, yeah, wow. absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think I had the game over a weekend, and then I sold it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was not good. No. 
Um, so yeah, I think that'll do it. We're doing yeah. pretty pretty good on time here. We've got a few other uh, topics, but maybe we'll save those for another time. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> go ahead and beat uh, Dead Space so we can spoiler uh, spoiler it up. Yeah, I will get to that. I guess I've just been so incredibly busy the past like week, but uh, hopefully this weekend I'll get some time into it. Just real quick, wh- where are you in the game? I am. Oh God, what happened last? The whiny, awful guy. Um, you know, yeah. God. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, man, that was a great part of the game. So yeah. happy about that. You're, you're like, it? I'm near the end, right? No, I mean, I've got to be. Oh, am I not? You're not. Oh, geez, I thought I was getting there. You're maybe two thirds. Oh, okay, that's not bad. Well, I mean, I knew I knew I wasn't right there, but I, I figured I was. I mean, I, I think I've almost put ten hours in. I figured it wasn't terribly longer than that. Yeah, good boss couple, fight before that guy bit it. More hours. Uh oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, really, yeah, that was a good one. And the plot Hello. does kick in in the last two hours. Okay, good. I look forward to that because so far, yeah, the plot really hasn't. Done anything. done anything for me either way, uh, <laughs> except for this whiny guy who I just absolutely hate. <laughs> so stupid, so stupid. Oh yes. Oh, I mean, just so dumb. I mean, go back to just Dead Space where you're just alone and just walking around oh, and no. having to do things. I mean, why do we need these auxiliary characters who are just awful? And they don't do anything. They don't do anything. I mean, it reminds me of um, like Metroid Prime Three. Oh, yeah. Where you have all these, you know, you meet all these characters, and you're like, you know, you're working with the whatever, like, the I don't know if it's the Federation or what it is, but, you know, you're meeting all these other bounty hunters and stuff, and then it's just like all this extra stuff you don't need in there, man. Yeah. Just drop me on a planet and let me kind of explore. That's all yeah, we want. Don't give me a mission. Yeah. Don't make me do your laundry. Right, exactly. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Stupid. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that'll do it. So uh, thanks, everyone, for writing in. If you have listener mail, you can always send that to connectivity at com. And uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Yep. Bye, guys. Bye. Today's thrilling episode is brought to you by Nintendo World Report, home of Radio Free Nintendo and other stuff, allegedly. I'm Tyler Olu, and now it's time for another thrilling episode of Connectivity Presents Runner 2, future legend of Rhythm Alien segment. (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful. Mm. Uh, So yeah, as you know, Tyler Olu's here. I'm Scott Thompson, and we also have Zach Miller. Hello! And uh, we're going to talk about the game we've all, to some degree, I think, obsessively been playing this week. Yeah. Um, kind of came out of nowhere, and yet I find any free time I have, I boot up the Wii U and try to beat a level or two, or try to beat a high score, and I'm loving it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did either of you play the original Bit Trip Runner? Oh, yeah. Nope. Okay, so you did, Tyler. Yeah. I didn't, and Zach didn't. What? That's weird. Um, so for you, like you said, oh, this came out of nowhere. I was like, 
No, I've been really ex- <laughs> wanting it pretty bad for a while now. I think yeah. um, I think I did some research for something, and it was like came out in like 2010. And uh, I think Neil's I mentioned the same thing where um, it really stood out to him as like the best of like the Bit Trip series, mm-hmm. uh, six games. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just the same sort of thing. It had a more of a minimal, like minimalistic look, uh, right. very blocky, uh, really good stuff though. Uh, great music. And, uh, you know, it like took off, like, um, I can't speak. I don't think all the bit trip games even came out elsewhere, but, uh, I know like bit trip runner definitely came out on steam. Uh, they had a tie in promotion when portal two came out. It, it was like a, it's been like yeah. a pretty big hit. So, um, uh, runner two has been, uh, on the top of my list for a while now. I love it. Yeah, it definitely is probably the most well-known of the BitTrip games. It just for some reason the BitTrip games I just missed all of them. I, I haven't played any BitTrip games <laughs> up until now. No, I haven't two. either. Well, you guys should probably both pick up um, the BitTrip collection. I think it's like BitTrip Saga. It was, like, it, was, it was on sale like two weeks ago. That's crazy. Uh, on 3DS <laughs> BitTrip Saga. I paid like full retail for that, like forty bucks, and like it's an awesome Ooh. deal. And then I I'm, think I'm, um, on 3DS. On right? 3DS, yeah. And then uh, I think it's either the same price or even thirty, but it might be less now on Wii, and that's the BitTrip collection, and that even has online leaderboards for the games and stuff like that. So that, that, um, that's the big selling point for me. It would be the online leaderboards. Yeah, yeah. Games. So I can't say like how amazing populated it is. It's not going to be as like well functioning or you know still updating uh like um runner 2 is but you guys should totally check it out like those are good games like it's a really good series yeah 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 and i mean this this game makes me kind of want to go back just be, the humor of it and and just how well designed it is and, and really the leaderboards which i know like you're saying won't be as functional now so many years later we'll have something um, yeah they'll have something to aim for though like you'll see scores and be like high scores sure that? yeah but um, does the original have charles martinet uh, no, it doesn't, uh, and it doesn't have me either. Um, <laughs> Charles Martinet is the voice of Mario, and I'm. Uh, you may recognize me as uh, Waluigi. Um, uh, no, he's not. In, he's not involved with that. That was a really interesting get uh, of um, Gaijin Games, the developer. That was weird. <laughs> I just love it because he's someone who's so entrenched in like in games, but as one specific character. You know, he's not like you know. Nolan North or something. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like, I mean, too. he has one voice and he's not doing it here. And I think that's what's so great. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because um, I think he means something to us. Like, definitely. Yeah. Like, as Nintendo gamers, just because of, obviously, Mario. But um, uh, to other... I don't know what anyone else even thinks because it's really weird because he introduces himself by his, like, his name. He's not right. like, this is Commander Video. He's like, I'm Charles Martinet. Like, so I think it must be lost on, like, a lot of people. But um, <laughs> we appreciate it. Yeah, no, you're probably right, because, yeah, you're just like, well, who's Charles Martinet? Like, what's what's the point here? But maybe people look it up, and then they see it, and then they're just like, oh, that's amazing. You know, I don't know. Because everyone knows that voice. I mean, who doesn't know Mario's voice? Yeah. Everyone does. Um, starring children in Africa. Yeah, I would think so. They I played know. Mario Kart. Yeah, <laughs> they know. who hasn't? They made Mario Kart 64. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about, just for anyone who maybe hasn't played the game yet, and if you have a Wii U... You should definitely be playing this game. But if you haven't, let's talk a little bit about what you do. Um, you basically avoid obstacles. Would yeah, you, would you say that's... You're constantly running forward. Yeah. Yeah, you have you no control of it. different buttons to avoid different obstacles. Yeah. Or so whether combinations of buttons. Sure. So whether it's jumping over things, sliding under them, uh, pulling up like a shield to block them away, uh, kicking them to get them out of the way. Nope. Um, I think that's that's the major ones there. Yeah. Yep. There's a loop-de-loops with the right stick. That's sure. very different from um, the original. Right. And, and I, that... just, I just got to, like, a square-shaped loop-de-loop Ooh. where you hit the four. 
space buttons at the right time to get bonus points. Oh, oh nice. Man, that's awesome. I haven't, I haven't even gotten to that yet. No. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's really good. And uh, an important part, too, is like uh, the whole rhythm alien thing where that comes from is that it's all tied into the music. Right. Um, all mm-hmm. the jumps and kicks and um, the gold blocks that you um, uh, go for, they all are um, they all tie into the music and it's all beats. Right. And really cool music. Really great stuff. Yeah, right, you great. find you you find as you're playing the game, you are like developing a rhythm, and you can almost whether you're watching. I mean, you, you're watching the game, but you can almost time your button presses presses like with the rhythm of the beat, rather than like just waiting for your character to get close enough to have to jump. Yeah. I mean, it, it gets to a point, especially when you're doing a lot on the hardest difficulty, where you kind of like feel the rhythm of it, and you and you know what you're going to have to do. Yeah, it's yeah. really unique. I like that. Yeah, and it sticks oh. in your head. I, st- I still have stuff from Runner 1 in my head. Like, I've been playing that on break at work, like, just, like, trying to prepare <laughs> for, like, just seeing your, you, like, Scott and Patrick's crazy scores. Like, yeah. And, no, and, and uh, I think Phil Theobald is on the top of the leaderboards in a lot of games, too. So, um, you guys make it so tough on me. It's crazy. <laughs> well, I find that that's, like, what I've spent most of my time doing lately. Like, I'm still in the first world. I mean, I haven't really gotten far, um... Just because I, I, well, first of all, when I play a level, I won't beat it unless I at least get all the gold. Like, I don't have to, like, perfectly nail, yeah, like, I don't have to perfectly nail the loop-de-loops, and I'll even let it go if I, uh, don't hit the bullseye at the end, but I have to get all the gold. Like, I I won't, I won't accept beating a level without all the gold. Um, and then, and, you know, now that, with the high scores with the leaderboards, which is so great because it shows you before you start a level, the leaderboards, so you know where your friends are at. And then at the end of the level, it shows you, you know, like how you stacked up against them. And I think that's so great because it gives you something right from the get-go to like shoot for. You know, it's not like you're playing the game separately and then you go to a different menu or something to see the leaderboard. You're like, oh, okay, right. the, he did this. I need to go back and do that. It's like, here's this level. Oh, and here's what your friends have already done. So try to and beat them. What I don't understand is how people like Patrick get such <laughs> insane scores because I'm on, I'm playing this level on the hardest difficulty – I'm getting all the gold. I'm getting all the multipliers. I'm dancing my ass off. I hit the bullseye at the end, and he's still like 200,000 points ahead of me. What wow. are you doing, Patrick? And he is so, like, modest, I guess? Like, just because he's like, he's just I don't so know. Surprised like, you guys, yeah, he's like, you guys should be able to compete quite easily. I, I think he's being facetious. I think he has this ultra strategy, and he's just <laughs> trying to throw us off the trail. He's like, oh, I'm just playing how I play. I mean, you guys should be able to beat me. I'm not doing anything special. And, you know, he was, like, on Twitter, he's like, I think maybe if you rotate the the right stick a lot, maybe you'll get more points. I think that's bullshit. I <laughs> yeah, think he's is. literally, he's trying to get us off the trail. <laughs> Fuck this you, is, Patrick. This is his new pinball game. <laughs> yeah, it is. But, yeah, Patrick is amazing. Um, if you haven't added us to your Nintendo friends list yet and you're playing Runner 2, now is a very good time. I mm. think I have, like, four open spots. So, first come, first serve there. Uh, unless I know you, then I'll bump off someone I don't know. Sorry if I bump you off. Um <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm okay. So, uh, um, what about you guys? Why don't you share those IDs now? Albert. Yep. And I'm Tyler Olu. I like to keep it simple. <laughs> T. Uh, well, Tyler and O H L E W. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, your full name. <laughs> you can just go to the site. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. You can find them there. Um. But the the competing for high scores is is definitely I think the the best part. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. And I'm su- I'm surprised at how complex the levels do become you know it starts off fairly simple um and especially once you switch to the harder difficulty i mean you're, you're in constant motion and i love once you've kind of got your full repertoire of moves i mean how you're you're just going between them so it's like jump duck block kick jump 
duck, you know, and then it's just, and then how it strings them together sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's just a lot of fun. And you really do like, I find myself kind of bobbing my head like with the music and with oh, the yeah. beat of like pressing the buttons, like when I really get into the zone. Mm-hmm. I like how if you go from the easiest difficulty to the hardest, it's kind of like a different level at the end. Yeah, just because of all the extra stuff. Okay, well, so I the layout too changes much... sometimes. The actual level layout changes. I think it does a little bit. I thought they just threw in more enemies and stuff, like more stuff you had to dodge and jump over and all that. Well, good that stuff. could be it. Maybe I'm just paying attention to the layout more when it's hard. When there's a bunch of stuff you have to dodge. Yeah. I think Tyler, does that sound right? I mean, have you messed around with the? Difficulty? Yeah, I've been fooling around. I've never, I've never gone down. I've just gone up because I didn't even think about that going up would raise your score. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Right. So I have been just been playing on the hardest just to see, just because my, just because runner, like I, you know, got through that, so I figure like I should be okay. Sure. Um And I'm doing all right, but anyways, I'm not anywhere close to anywhere near the leaderboards. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just uh, definitely more enemies and stuff like that. Just you need to have much, much quicker. Um, reactions and does he uh, run a little faster uh that i can't say i don't know like because i guess because now because i've because i've been sticking on hard for so long i only did like a first, the first few stages now i'm just doing that so right. um he could i could see that complicating things but jesus that'd be crazy because the enemy just more enemies is enough like right you feel the difference right away like because the, i i well i i feel like in the first few levels and maybe it's just because the levels have gotten more difficult but there's parts where there's like stairs basically and you have to like jump up them you know it's a common yeah. level structure it was like three platforms you have to jump up and in the earlier stages i felt like i had a pretty good amount of time to just like one two three jump up them and now um you know maybe they've just been shortened because it's a further on level but now it feels like i have to like as soon as like i touch the ground i have to jump again like there's no time to yeah, like yeah. jump land run for like a split second and then jump it's like you gotta hit it exactly yeah. and, and it, so that's why that's why i thought maybe the speed had been increased but i i haven't experimented and gone back and like lowered the difficulty to see yeah it's hardly an excuse but i do find like because of the <clears throat> the give of the buttons i almost like second guess myself like i'm like am i pushing the button really hard fast enough i feel like the the wii u gamepad con- buttons are have a lot have a lot more give and just from yeah. playing on the 3ds where it's like just feels like a pure digital click like just very very you can really quickly press it i'm really concerned for later on like for needing to press things really rapidly but uh yeah see when we get there I know I get that feeling too, and in fact, like I ha- I kind of have the problem where it's like a big gap I have to jump over, and I I feel like I'm pressing the button like long enough that I should make it, you know, because you kind of float in the air for a little bit when you hold the button. Yeah. But a lot of times I'll find that like I'm just like just a little bit short, and I'll hit the platform and you know, and then start over. There's so much stuff about it that I'm like, oh, that's so smart. Like with the checkpoint. The game almost like I feel like the camera like pant pulls out a bit, and you can see that it's coming up ahead, and then yeah, it almost it like kind of slows down even. Yeah, gives you a chance to jump to jump over it. Which and believe so it or not, I've still messed it up sometimes. <laughs> and like totally ran into it, and I'm like, oh, what am I doing? This is terrible. That's so smart. Like I really love that because on one hand you have this checkpoint here, so not only can you adjust the difficulty, but you can play on easy and then also have this checkpoint, which will start you from the middle of the stage if you die later on. Okay, so that's great. But they use it like nefariously when you're trying to compete for high scores because you jump over the checkpoint and you get bonus points for doing that. So you don't hit the checkpoint. If you die, you start over, um, but you get those bonus points, which you, you have to get if you're going to get, you know, crack the leaderboards. You're not going to beat anyone if you if you get the checkpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do. They kind of sometimes strategically place it where it's like it is an obstacle. Like, yeah, you jump for the goal, land, and have to jump immediately to clear the, uh, to clear the checkpoint. I think that's so cool <laughs> to have this checkpoint that plays these two distinct roles, like good and bad. Yeah, you won't find the checkpoint in um, Runner 1. It's definitely not in there. And um, 
the levels can get really, really long. And it's like, and I just have to imagine they will in Runner 2, and it gets crazy. Have you have you played any retro stages yet, Tyler? Uh, in Runner 2? Yeah. No, I haven't, no. Um... Yeah, yeah, I hear I hear talk of this stuff, and uh, and I'm really I'm like, oh, there's all this weird stuff, and I feel like um, I don't know if it's necessarily a fault of the game, but I do, unless they, I guess they just want to maybe I don't know, like add to that weird like NES mystery of like you being like, what does this do? Like where like there's a picture of like a key and it's treasure chest, and it's like you didn't get it, and I'm like, but how do I get? It? I don't even know what. How, it's really really weird, yeah. But that's cool too. It gives you something to like to kind of keep an eye out for and try to figure it right. out. Right. I think I I found I got to a level that like says like all the key are now visible in the in all the levels so i gotta go back or something it's pretty interesting it's funny too like the super meat boy it's not just that um he's in the game like you see him in the opening cinematic and perhaps he's another playable character or something but um uh when um they're developing runner one i think they said um uh it must have been concurrent with super meat boy because um edmund mcmillan um, like the programmer and like the, well, I think he's mostly the, the artist behind Super Meat Boy, but he suggested to, um, Gaijin Games to do the instant, uh, go back to the beginning thing. Like of when you fail, rather I guess like, originally it was rather more than like, like a, fade to black or start the level. Yeah, exactly. Which like, even in like Mario, like it still takes some time. Like when you do like coin rush and yeah. you're kind of like, Oh, this is like, of course I want to restart or, or like, why does it have to be like, maybe it can restart and then I can make my decision if I want to quit. Like, right. don't give me that option every single time. It's annoying. So it's, it, it would have been like a super different game if the, if uh, Edwin Gamelin would have given that little piece of advice. So it's, that it's is like a, a really brilliant decision because yeah. it does feed into that. Just like, okay, one more time. I'll try one more time. You know, if it did, if it, if it dropped you back to the level menu, it'd be, so easy to just yeah. turn the game off. I even feel like I wish it would just restart at the beginning. Well, that's true. <laughs> so, as great as we think this game is, um, there have been a lot of like weird sort of technical problems that they're apparently going to address with a future patch. Um, now, whether that's when you start the game, it asks you if you want to be connected online so you can enjoy all the leaderboards and stuff, and then there's a you know a yes or no option, and when you select something, it sort of pauses for like 10 seconds and you're not really it doesn't say loading it doesn't really tell you what's going on so you're yeah. kind of like did it work? i think there's no audio frozen? correct or no audio at all yeah nothing yeah and so yeah that totally fakes me up the first time i was like okay is it not working and yeah. then it finally just went i, I like, started okay. tapping it on the touch screen i was like maybe this is what I i'm did, supposed to do i did that too i did that too i pressed <laughs> a i tapped i tapped the screen i pressed start yeah it was just nothing um, and then there's a weird quirk with the leaderboards where your high score doesn't remain. So like if you play a stage and you get a score, then that's your high score. And then if you play that level again, even if you get a lower score, it replaces your high score, like with whatever your most recent score is, which is just wrong. So like, I think that happened to me because like I played a bunch of the game the first day while Tabby was at work and then she came home and I was like, check this game out. And so I just put her back on the first level, but, you know, playing as, as, as my, you know, as my record or whatever. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. she played like three or four levels and you know, she, she beat them, but she didn't like get all the gold and stuff. And I, then I went back and looked and I was like, oh my God, you were embarrassing me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. You're like, huh? oh my god, I'm 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 the top of the world. I'm the best person in the world. And it's like, boom, tank. It's like she ran into the first Goomba, and you're like, right, oh yeah, exactly. And then and then it like everyone in the world knew that first Goomba killed me or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like you guys said, um, I'm for me if I'm saying his last name wrong, but Alex Newsy, uh, News, um, of Gaijin Games, he announced today that they're addressing all those issues. And there's another one where people are finding that if they hit the home button to quit the game or even just turn off the console while they're playing the game that the system will like hard lock. 
But they yeah. they're working on that. But they said that that doesn't happen on dev kits. That that's only been something that's happening on um, retail units. Which is so, so weird. that might be a harder thing to work around. I'm not I'm not too sure. Yeah, I haven't had that problem. Although no, I haven't, me neither. The home I haven't had any of these problems. <laughs> yeah, well, I've had the you know obviously where the screen where it takes a while to load. Oh, yeah, like, that true. you want to be online. But other than that, um, people, you know, I've talked to people um, on Twitter like when because I talked about Hulu hard locking a lot, and I didn't try it, but they said um, one guy said he downloaded Zombie U, I think it is, and he was having a hard lock a lot, and then he he completely deleted it and then re-downloaded it, and it was totally fine after that. <laughs> yeah, give that a shot. And see, um, I'd imagine all, well, I don't know what'll happen to all your high scores. I, I mean, I'm sure you can keep your save data, um, just delete the actual game file. One thing I'd really, that I really like to see is something that, um, Criterion does in like their, um, like Need for Speed games and Burnout and stuff is, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily like, of course, show like the leaderboard, who's the top of the leaderboard and stuff like that, but show who of your friends is closest among you and uh, try to get that score. Instead of like being, instead of being like, oh, good, Scott has like two billion points. I'm scratching just over a hundred thousand. Like, what am I doing wrong? Just show me like who has a hundred thousand and two points, and I can get, I can beat their score. I think that that just it just promotes, um, um, you know, beating it to, to try to achieve something instead of just being like, this is impossible. Right. It keeps it like on a, like on a small scale. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. which That'd would be, really be good. Cool. I imagine that's not as much a problem for people who don't have a ton of friends on their friends list. Like, we've talked about this before. And, and Tyler, how many friends do you have on your friends list? I have, like, 70. I accept, like, every request. Yeah. And then I get, like, you go to your your activity feed, and I'm like, oh, good. A friend of mine drew a line uh, and posted it to me (laughs) first. That's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's kind of like how... Swap note, like I think Swap Note works great if you have like five 3DS friends, but when we add everyone like through Nintendo World Report, like listeners and, and readers and stuff like that, you know, it just becomes too much. But I find that when I went to the actual leaderboards, like it's not even like I don't know, I didn't feel like it was crazy long. Like not as many people own it. I guess when you start dealing with so many, like seventy or so many people, I feel like I have like less than twenty or something like that. Maybe I just have I'm friends with all the wrong people. No, that's yeah, not nice. Probably. Um <laughs> But, uh, well, yeah, the Miiverse, I, I opened, like, uh, Miiverse the other day while I was playing BitTrip, and it, the community is only, like, 3,000 people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's a lot of people haven't necessarily, you know, downloaded it and started playing it yet. Yeah. But they should, because it's amazing. And, like, there's so little to do on the Wii U right now. And what I love is it's probably one of the few games where I strictly play it on the gamepad. Um, so earlier before we started recording, I sent out a tweet asking for people to, uh, send me, uh, their 140 character thoughts about the, uh, the game. So, alarmingly, I didn't get very many, like, comments about the actual game. So, uh, Lord NBZ, who's a listener to the show, said, wish I could comment on it, but it isn't out in the European Wii U eShop yet, sad face. Which, and then shortly after, Nicholas Bray, who lives in Australia and is a staff writer, said, who knows, it's not out yet. Tongue out face. So yeah, so they're kind of mad. Um, <laughs> our our own our own Zach Kaplan isn't interested. He said he'd rather talk about Steel Diver Two, oh, uh, which isn't a thing and will never be a thing. Um, Third rate minion said Runner Two lets you make friends with a pickle who you can dress like a farmer. That's true innovation. But seriously, good stuff. I agree. It is good <laughs> stuff. Uh, our own JP Corbin said I would be playing the shit out of Runner Two if it weren't. Uh, if I weren't completely addicted to FIFA 13 right now, which is just crazy. <laughs> oh, and and like weird puzzle 3DS games, Nikolai games or whatever. That, yeah, that I feel like I have a to always problem, tease him about JP. it. 
Yeah, I think so. And then uh, Disco Stew said, uh, Runner 2 is perfectly designed to give me pleasure, which I thought was kind of weird in a sexual way, but yeah. I agree with him in whatever way he <laughs> Maybe, maybe Runner, 2 ne- Runner 2 needs those like weird like biofeedback things that Rez had. Like, uh, you can oh, hook, yeah. hook up other like Wii U um, Pro Controllers and have them like vibrate on your butt or whatever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That would be good. Yeah. I'd want my butt vibrated while playing Runner 2. <laughs> I'm almost surprised just because of like how... Like weird the game can get like and and just like you know like they have Meat Boy in there like they obviously love video games in general so that'd be a really cool reference I guess yeah that actually would be kind of funny <laughs> yeah, or even if it was just one of the trans commercials that's what they were called trans vibrators it, they were yeah or even if it was just like fake like one of the commercials that opens the game you know each time oh yeah that'd be good <laughs> um and then both Austin Clark and then um friend of the show T R Brody both mentioned the fact that it just hard locks all the time when you try to quit. <laughs> So, I went on a Twitter rant last night. I I got my condescending sarcasm in on that issue. Really? You were good. not happy, huh? <laughs> no. Um, so that's runner 2. I don't yeah. I don't really know what else we could say. We could probably force ourselves to keep talking about it because I think there's just a lot of great little tiny things that make it so much fun. Honestly, I'd rather just go play it. <laughs> yeah, me too. And try and beat Patrick. Yeah, well, that's always the challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, um, yeah, no, I don't know. There's nothing, there's nothing really else to say. If you haven't downloaded this game yet, you should do it. Yeah. It's 50, if yeah. it's 15 bucks, which, which is a, maybe a little high for some people, um, for a game where you ostensibly just, you know, dodge things. Cause I mean, it, it feels like a really, really, really like well designed iPhone game, but like, you know, brought to, brought to a console, but really, I mean, this could be an iPhone game where you just tap the screen to like jump over something yeah. or duck I can't imagine something. tapping the screen. Oh no, me neither. You do wait just too much for like how nuts it gets. And right, ducking. right, <laughs> right. Without as much, but like if, if all you had to do was like jump or duck, so like you swipe up to jump, swipe down to duck, uh, and then that was the whole game, right? Like that could be an iPhone game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it could. But the, I think but there's I'd hate so it, much. But it could. Yeah, right. But there's so much like charm here and production value, and there's just I don't know. There's something about this game. It really is charming. I think and, what, and, what really makes it stand out with this like endless runner genre is that these are levels that are like very, very well put together. And a lot of endless true. runners are just that they're endless. Like they right. just like um, they just make them. What's the, the word when they make themselves? <laughs> like they uh, randomly generated. Like it just yeah. you know constantly get, goes. But these are like structured levels. Ridey. Yeah. yeah, and they just, you know, the music and it plays such a big role, and I gotta say, too, like, the visuals, like, initially I didn't like the design, um, but now I'm just, like, totally won over, like, the, the game's gorgeous, it has a really great um, yeah. art style, very cohesive, um, it looks different than Runner 1, which is very, like I said, it's very retro and uh, um, blocky, um, mm-hmm. but I found that sometimes it was hard to distinguish elements of the background that were just the background and not and not part of, like, you know, something mm-hmm. to jump over, right. um, because everything was just square, like, it was almost hard to tell sometimes. Times. Um, and this is definitely a, a change, and it looks it looks stunning. Yeah, I had that problem when you play the retro levels um, because it's all, all new environments. Yeah. So you do kind of have to like yeah. learn what has to be jumped over, what is it that you can kick, what is it you have to like <laughs> block. Yeah. 
And Runner um, One, they were like really uh, Atari based. What, what what's the theme with uh, these retro levels? Oh, totally Atari based. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'd that too. So. Like in Runner One, it was like the bottom of the screen had the weird like Gaijin Games logo in place of like um what was it uh, i guess was it activision that did pitfall like um yeah, yeah like it, how it had like a weird station like it said activision bottom pitfall like it looked very much like uh old atari game it was weird yeah this guy <laughs> this has a like a you have three hearts and you have a, a score that keeps ticking up and yeah yeah this is probably more like like nes or famicom yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. more 8-bit because like there's backgrounds and stuff like it's not just like yeah i don't know they, they, it's definitely more detailed i imagine than, like, so just because the, the famicom cartridges i guess that would make sense yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure for sure okay and uh yeah so tyler zach thanks for being here sure. oh yeah no problem but um yeah so that'll do it yep. go play runner 2 add us to your friends list and try 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 to beat patrick's high scores you won't but give it a try Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Don't forget to send your listener mail to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com, and please rate and review the show on iTunes. Now stay tuned for our bonus segment, an outer space Q&A with Scott Thompson and Johnny Metz. Scott Thompson, and today I'm with Dr. Jonathan Metz. Hello. And uh, we're doing space segment number two. Uh, it's been quite, quite some time, actually. You know, I was just, we were talking about how my daughter's in the background right here is recording this one, and she was in the background last time, but that time, I think she, I mean, she couldn't even really probably support her head. I think she, we had her, like, <laughs> in a, uh, like, in some sort of little, like, rock and play kind of bed thing as she was in the background last time. So it's been, I don't know, maybe eight or seven months since... Yeah, it's the been last a while. one. We've been meaning to do it and just yeah. got around to it. So exactly, that's a good time to get back into it. There's a lot of stuff going on that people have probably heard about. We've got like meteorites exploding in the <laughs> air, and uh, you know asteroids making near miss flybys of of the Earth. So yeah, absolutely. Dennis Tito announcing he's going to send someone flyby around Mars in like five years from now. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> not happening, huh? You're mm. calling it. He is gonna try, probably. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've got a bunch of questions from Twitter and the NWR forums and everything. So we're gonna keep this to about a half hour. So we'll just kind of go down the list and 
hopefully get to as uh, as many as we can here. Yeah, I'm going to try to be more concise than I was last time so we can get more questions read. I apologize. Some people have been waiting over six months for their questions to be answered, so I feel really bad about that. By the way, I do, I do want to repeat the disclaimer from last time that these are my personal opinions. They don't represent my employer. They're not political statements, yada, yada, yada. These are just – this is for information and entertainment only. All right. Well, yeah, let's get started then. Uh, I'll just kind of go down the list here, I suppose. Um, so this one's from uh, user Super. He says, do you think the Reds may have attempted to put a man in space before Yuri, it was like Gagarin? Gagarin. Or, mm-hmm. Gagarin. And never made it public when it didn't turn out so well? Know any cool history along the Russian side of things? <laughs> well, it's telling that Ty calls them the Reds. Um, <laughs> I think the preferred term these days is Russians, but uh, they were the Reds back then. Yes, they were the Soviet Union. Um, yeah, I think there's a fair possibility that, uh, the Russians tried sending humans in space before Yuri and failed, but we've, we've found out a lot in the past 15, 20 years since the Soviet Union broke up. They've been slowly becoming a little more open with their, at least with their history in the space Mm -hmm. program. And we've learned a lot more about some of their failures early on, some of the programs that they were pretty deep into and never, never finished, you know, some of their, uh, their um their their moon missions they were trying to to send astronauts to the moon or cosmonauts and they were you know building a space shuttle that never really never flew with people on it it flew unmanned and it looked a lot like our space shuttle because it was probably based on stolen blueprints of our space shuttle mm-hmm. so um they were into a lot of pretty crazy projects that we never heard about because we only ever found out about the successful ones you know they were under lock and key um but uh, one thing we learned about is that, I mean, it, it was a pretty well-known story even back in the 60s and 70s that before uh, Yuri Gagarin, who was the first human in space back in 61, yes, 60. Ah, uh, I'm really bad with dates. Sorry. <laughs> he was the first human in space. Uh, before that, uh, they had been sending uh, dogs. And the first dog in space, the first mammal that we know of, I think the very first life forms were worms. I want to say they were earthworms, mm-hmm. uh, and they were thinking that because they were invertebrate, uh, they weren't worried about them breaking bones on the way back or, or even during – I don't think they brought them back, but during launch, you know, and so they were – they had a higher degree of confidence that they would survive. But Lyco was the first mammal. She was a dog. Uh, she was a mutt, and um, she, there's, there's statues of her in Russia now. Um, she's a very popular character in Russian culture, uh, even in Western culture. She's somewhat well-known. Um, as being the first mammal in space. And the this myth was that the Soviet Union perpetuated back in the 60s is that Laika uh, flew up into space and then survived for like two weeks or something like that and then like died a very peaceful death <laughs> due to basically died of thirst, which is supposedly uh-huh. like a very peaceful way to go. Okay. Uh, and so she was celebrated as this hero. Well, it turns out we found out, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago after the after the fall of the Soviet Union, that Laika actually died like maybe a couple hours after launch. She did make it to space, and she was living up there, but then they had a problem with the life support, and all the oxygen was lost, and so she suffocated. Oh, God. Yeah, it's it's pretty horrible. And, um, you know, and so, it, it you know, not a, not a very nice way to go probably. But so they lied about that stuff, and that leads me to think, yes, they probably have lied about other things. Now, I don't know that they ever – lost a person in space, you know, during a launch. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's possible. It's, I think it's definitely possible just based on their history of, you know, they, 
they were very controlling of the information that got out there back then. And they were in competition, so that's why. Absolutely. I know it's kind of hard to imagine, I mean, thinking about living today or even, you know, during the space race in the 60s, it's hard to imagine America launching, you know, something into space with humans and no one knowing about it. But like right. you're saying, in Russia, I mean, information was was very, very much controlled. So it, it's not as hard to believe that that could have happened. And, and especially, you know, the... In America, we usually launch space launches out of Cape Canaveral in Florida, right. which is a very densely populated area. I mean, you can you can see the shuttle, you could see the space shuttle launching from Disney World. You know, right. uh, the Soviets launched from Kazakhstan, which is really the middle of nowhere. I mean, this is okay. where Borat was from. So, <laughs> right, right. It's very rural. And they and they also land the like the Soyuz spacecraft. They land in in Kazakhstan on land, and one of the biggest problems they have with with landing that way, um, they actually okay. So Ty asked about any cool history on the Russian side of things. I do know that not a lot of people know this outside the space program, um, but the Soyuz uh, vehicle has a gun on board, um, and it's this weird modular gun. It has three different tips. One is basically like a high powered pistol and that's used in case of uh in case of wolves or bears uh <laughs> because because Soyuz lands on land and if it veers off course and it takes several hours for the rescue crew to come get you out you might have to get out of the capsule and fend for yourself until they come so <laughs> the other uh like barrel that you can attach to it is a flare gun so you can use that to help the rescuers find you and the other is a tw- a tranquilizer dart and that's used in case people come up to you and try to attack you or steal stuff. And uh, and actually a fair amount of the equipment and just metal that comes down on a Soyuz is scavenged by the uh by the local people. Um and a lot of times they get there before the actual Russian space program people <laughs> do. Um and usually they don't cause a problem. They just they go check it out. They kind of stake it out, and then once they have the cosmonauts out of there and and all the officials leave, they go there and they start pulling it apart. And they go and they sell that stuff. And wow. it's you know there's platinum and copper and titanium, and I mean it's valuable material. Sure. And uh, and a lot of them you know they make their living uh, selling like scavenged parts, or sometimes they just use them to build huts and you know kind of like home projects. That's pretty wow. crazy stuff, I think. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, and if you fly on the Soyuz, uh, you go to this training program in Star City uh, outside of Moscow, and they teach you to use that gun because uh, it's a unique, like, you know, one-of-a-kind gun that's made only for Soyuz because it has these these different barrels you can screw into it. Right. It's part of their survival training. That's amazing. I mean, from the gun to the scavenging, I'm just getting, like, images of Fallout right now in my head. <laughs> like, I don't know why. That's amazing. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Stalker might be the better comparison. Oh, set yeah. In, set that's in, like, true. post-nuclear Ukraine. Yeah, that's a good game. Hard, kind of hard to get mm. into, but once you get into the rhythm of it, very good game. Um, All right, but this is a gaming podcast. We're not here to talk about games. We're here to talk about space. That's right. Uh, So let's move on to the next question uh, from user Bustin98, which I just hope is a Ghostbusters reference in some way. I think it is. He's, yeah, I hope so. He says, have we looked into long-term time desynchronization of extended space flights and possible ways to overcome the difference in time frames? I, in, most of this doesn't make any sense to me, so hopefully you can explain what he's asking right now. This is terminology that I don't usually work with, but I think Bustin is talking about cryogenic storage of people, you know, like okay. in, in Alien. Right, like hypersleep or something. Yeah, yeah. In 2001, they do it as well. 
Yeah. Um, it's a popular idea because it gets around some of the major logical fallacies of of sending people on extremely long space flights. But uh, I don't believe there's any real credible science behind it. Uh, there are some. I, I some. I've heard the story. I don't have. I don't. This is not very scientific. Sorry, but I've heard that there are certain kinds of uh, frogs that you can actually freeze for years at a time, and when they thaw out, they they come back and they behave as normal. But you know, the physiology between a frog and a human is so very different. You know, sure. they're cold blooded and and um, they. You know, they breathe through their skin. So I just don't know that, that there's any kind of transference that we'll ever pull off. I mean, there is some company, I think, that, uh, you know, that claims that after you die, they will come and freeze your body and preserve it until someday in the future when they can, you know, bring you back and save you from whatever killed you. And I, I think I think there is a company that actually does that. It sounds very unethical and, uh, <laughs> you know, scam artist to me. But yeah. Um, I, again, I don't think, I don't think what they do is based on, on very much actual science. I think it's more just kind of preying on people's hopes and fears. So, you know, to, to kind of follow up with that, are there sort of tropes in sci-fi books and TV and, and movies that aren't backed by science at all similar to this? Cause I, I assume that maybe theoretically this was possible, but you're saying there, there's really no basis for this. So is that, is that common I mean, with other sci-fi tropes? I, I think theoretically it is possible, you know, but I think the complexities of actually keeping you alive, because they're basically what they're trying to do is sort of um, freeze you in time. Okay. And right. that's probably not possible. I mean, they would probably have to keep parts of your brain active and parts of your body active or else the tissue deteriorates and just making you cold isn't going to do it. It's way more complicated than that. So Sure. I'm not saying it's impossible. I just don't think we've really made a whole lot of progress towards that. I don't know that anyone's really even trying, um, you know, any, any kind of serious, credible effort in that, in that space. But yeah, there's a lot. I mean, anytime you see, um, anytime you see like in a TV show or a movie, uh, these, these small spaceships kind of flying around and they're doing, if, if you'll notice like, and TIE fighters are really bad about this too, even in Star Wars, but the, the spaceships a lot of times will make maneuvers that are based on aircraft. Sure. But aircraft make those maneuvers because they're cutting through air and they're, you know, using jet engines or propellers and none of that stuff. I mean, spaceships just don't move like that. You know, um, if you've ever seen 2001, a space odyssey, that's by far the most accurate movie in terms of how things really move in space. Mm -hmm. And it's also a, a really believable portrayal of artificial gravity, which uh, we might get a chance to talk about later if we, if we get through enough questions, but right. um, I would, I would always reference people to 2001 because it was very thoroughly researched and they, the, the filmmakers, especially Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke, who was involved with the story, were very, very interested in making it real. And they had NASA on board uh, in a pretty big way, really as consultants to try to make sure that it was realistic and authentic. And I mean, it's set, you know, the stuff they do is even way, way, way beyond what we could do in 2001. So, I mean, it's futuristic, but it's grounded in actual physics. And if you look at the way the things move um, through space in, in that movie, that is a lot more realistic than what you see in Battlestar Galactica, you know, or anything. Like right. That. Where ships are like cutting and, and yeah, and just yeah, banking. Doing all kinds there, of there is no banking and... in space. You're right. <laughs> you know, that's interesting. It doesn't work that way. There's no, there's no drag to slow you down. So you can't power right. slide in space. 
Right. So the idea of like a, a space fighter jet is, I mean, just not going to happen. I mean, you could build a small spacecraft and make it really maneuverable, but it it wouldn't look like that. It would <laughs> it would look like it has a whole bunch of jets coming out all over the place. Sure. You know, basically, so it like could move in every direction. Yeah. Constantly correct your attitude and and then push you in the right direction. So sure. It's not, but that doesn't look nearly as sexy. So. No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> all right, uh, let's move. You know, let, let's go ahead and jump down since, since you mentioned the artificial gravity. Let, let's jump to that now. Popular I'll, topic. Uh, I'll break rank here a little bit. So we've got two questions that are sort of um, tied together. So uh, T Brody, which uh, from Twitter, uh, who I learned last week, his last name is Brody, not his first name. Uh, why isn't there more effort to do rotating crap for long haul man trips? Everyone always bitches about low G, but accepts it. And then Rob Ford also said, Bill Nye says Mars travel, Mars travel is a go if the ship is big enough and spinning fast enough for artificial gravity. Besides cost, what are the other limiting factors? All right. Um, I, I feel like we might have talked about this a little bit last time. So We did. I, th- I want to say maybe Danny Vivens asked the question about yeah, artificial gravity. I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time on artificial gravity um, because it's something that is a little bit far-flung, probably. We're not doing a whole lot of work on it right now. There is a, a really respected researcher up at MIT named Larry Young. I, I might have mentioned him last time. And he has a lab at MIT with a big centrifuge where you lie on your back, and it's in this room where it, the, the whole thing looks like it shouldn't even fit in that room, and I'm sure it's terrifying when they turn it on because it will like almost scrape the walls. They've made it as big as possible. Uh, to fit in this room, and there's this giant piston in the floor sticking up, you know, this, this that's on ball bearings, and it just spins really, really fast. And, um, you know, and, and they measure the, you know, the way that the blood in your body gets pushed around as you lay on this thing and gets spun around, and how fast you have to go, and how much gravity can you simulate. Um, it's, which is really just centrifugal force, you know, it's not, it's not actually gravity, but you, the, the question is, can you trick your body into thinking that it's gravity? You know, if sure. you, if you do this, will your muscles react more like as if you were actually in gravity and would your brain react the same way? Well, in a lot of ways it does, but, but there's also the rotation, which you don't have in, in a normal gravity field. And the rotation, I mean, well, actually, I mean, we do, you know, even on Earth, we're standing on the outside of Earth and Earth is spinning. It's rotating, sure. Um, that's not what causes the gravity, but but it, there is this rotation. It's just that the the angular momentum that we have out here is so small that we can't, I mean, we've evolved so that we can't detect it so it doesn't bother us. It is detectable, but our bodies are, are built so that it's subliminal. And the problem is that if you rotate someone faster than that, you notice it. And then the question is, does that cause so many bad side effects that it overcomes the utility of creating this artificial gravity? So if you're in this thing to keep your muscles and your bones from deteriorating in microgravity over long periods of time, but it makes you throw up constantly, then it's probably a net loss. (laughs) It's probably not something you want to do. Um, and so they're, they're not really sure about this. There's also, when you, when you test these things on the ground, you also have gravity. And so it, it creates this, this weird kind of like, per, you know, perpendicular force on your, on your body. Um, and so it's difficult to take that out of the results when you look at it. And so what we really need to do is put this stuff in space 
and, and test, test it, it there. And then you can start to get really good data on how well does this actually work and is it worth pursuing? Can we make advancements on it? And there has been... For a while, for a few years, there's been a really strong push to get one of Larry's centrifuges up on the space station. The space station. I was just going to say, ask um, that, yeah. They, they've been trying. I don't know how much progress has been made on that. I don't know if it'll ever really happen, but I hope it does because I, I, I think it's a really important research, and there aren't too many people working on that stuff. But there's a lot of safety issues with putting a giant spinning heavy thing <laughs> Um, yeah. On the space station, it's, you know, and the space station itself is very sensitive to perturbances. So even, um, you know, when you have like astronauts outside on a spacewalk and they're, they're uh, screwing in bolts, okay, just the, the, the force of you pulling on that tool can actually cause the space station to start spinning the opposite way. I was just, yeah, because, well, because there's nothing holding it there, exactly. right? I mean, exactly. There's just, nothing to hold the station, float, so. so it it'll just spin. Yeah, it's it's like Newton's third law. You know, every force there's an opposite force in the other direction, and so they build the tools to minimize that. But then also they have these big gyroscopes. They're called the CMGs, the Control Moment Gyroscopes, and I think there's six of them on the space station because um, you need at least three. I think you need at least two or three to maintain a certain level of control, and, and they, they fail all the time. They replace them all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but they're these big spinning disks, and they can be turned in different directions, and they, and they're, they, caught, they take a lot of power to keep these things spinning because they're heavy. Um, but they use those to basically balance out all those rotations and try to keep it facing the right way. And they have to keep the station facing the right way so that it picks up the suns. You know, so all the solar panels are facing the sun and all the radiator panels are facing cold space so they can get rid of heat. So it's a, it's a really complicated problem. And putting a big centrifuge up on the station, you know, you, you have to probably what they're telling him, I would guess that, that what the ISS program is telling him is that you can put this thing up here, but you also have to send up all of the equipment that's going to balance out the forces that it's going to put on the station. And that then makes it really big and expensive and heavy. So. For something like that, would they build they build the whole thing on Earth and set it up, or would they? I mean, I assume, right? They well, you have build to build it, it on Earth, but yeah, and this would go inside the station, so um, so it would be basically a piece of exercise equipment, um, a really crazy exercise equipment, <laughs> yeah, really so, crazy, yeah. huge, massive <laughs> piece of exercise equipment, right? Yeah. And it, you know, it has to it has to be compatible with all kinds of biosensors and stuff because the whole point is to collect the data and see how it affects your your body how much do you how much of the day do you need to spend in that thing i mean the i think um you know the these questions from robin uh, and t brody are probably more in the line of spinning the entire vehicle that's what you see more in 2001 right which is that basically the whole vehicle so then you don't have to worry about well you know can if i only do it two hours a day is that enough you know um, but then you have other problems of how are you going to start it spinning and then how are you going to stop it spinning once you get there because that's hard to do how do you keep it spinning the same speed the whole time, even though you've got things moving on it and disturbing it all over the place? Well, because you think once you adjust to one speed, I mean, yeah, if it, if it moved at all, you would feel like you're saying on Earth, you know, if Earth sped up all of a sudden, we would know it. It would yeah, be shocking to us. Well, and that's the thing. Like, you can use a rocket to start it spinning. But once you do that, it's going to be at some angular momentum. And then as the people inside move around and push things around and do all this other stuff, or if you put any other forces on it, even like solar winds and radiation and stuff like that will just put these very minor disturbances in it and it will it will change that speed of rotation. 
So over time, you might have to do it again to correct it, or it might speed up. It might spin too fast, and then you have to – it's very, very complicated. And uh, we've never put people in space for long enough that it was necessary. So we've never designed a vehicle that could actually do that safely. One day, maybe. Probably not for Mars. It's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem for going to Mars is radiation, not gravity. So, um, you know, we could spend a lot of money trying to fix the gravity problem, but the truth is you could probably survive not having gravity all the way to Mars. Um, especially if you're going to land, because Mars does have gravity. It has about a third of Earth's gravity. So you could go down there, do all your exercises and all the work and all the research and everything else you want to do and try to get your body back in shape a little bit before you come home and go through it all again. Um, so gravity, it would, it would suck and you'd be in a wheelchair for a long time after you got back and, you know, it would be a very long rehab session, but you could probably survive the gravity effects. The radiation's a bigger problem, much bigger. Sure. So we have to fix that first. Yeah. Huh. Pretty wild. Um, all right. Let's keep going here. Got probably enough time to go through a couple more questions. So let's, let's maybe do a little kind of a fun one here. Uh, Donald slash, um... Uh, shaman. I've got, yeah, Shaman. Thank you. I was blanking on it for a second there. I uh, asked, how are people able to tweet from space? They have satellite internet. Yep. That's, that was what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> can they, can they like watch TV and stuff like in the space station or anything? Um, they can get YouTube and stuff like that. They don't get, I, I don't think they have like satellite TV. I don't think they have the, um, the equipment to do that. And they have so little free time that right. it was not really worth the effort to try to get that stuff up there. <laughs> right. But they wanted internet mainly for research purposes because you could send data back down while the mission is going on. So that's very, very valuable um, as they're doing like long-term um, scientific studies up there. But they do have internet access, and it's probably slow. I mean, I don't know if you've ever used satellite internet on the ground, but it's like maybe two or three times faster than dial up. So right. it's not really what I would consider broadband. It's not very fast, but it works. And the satellites that provide that stuff are in higher orbits than the ISS. So you can still use it. You know, you have to kind of point at the satellites in a little bit different way. It's a lot sharper angle um, than it would be from the ground, but they basically work the same way. Mm -hmm. And um, the the station does have its own antennas that point directly to tracking stations on the ground. They're like K-band antennas and stuff like that. But I think those are reserved for uh, voice communications and you know life life support uh, data and stuff like stuff that they need to monitor all the time. And so they can't like give that up just for uh, casual internet usage. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, basically they take up laptops and they use them the same way that you would anywhere else. They just have to be sort of, um, you know, the laptops are like mounted on kind of a desk thing that juts out from the wall. And then when you use it, you kind of have to hook your feet into some straps on the floor to hold you in as you type. Otherwise the typing would launch you towards the ceiling. <laughs> it would. That makes sense. I didn't even think about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> the simplest thing. But it's. The actual internet, I mean, it works the same way, you know, they yeah. just don't have much time and they don't have a whole lot of bandwidth. But uh, the good thing about tweeting is that it doesn't use much bandwidth. So it's a pretty popular activity. Right. It's fine for just sending text and stuff. Yeah, that's not an issue. Yeah. And they like to send photos too. They, uh, photography is like probably the number one most popular hobby up on the space station because they have these great windows, you know, and these unbelievable views of the earth. Uh, and it's and it's always there. And so a lot of times, just any kind of free time that they get, they go over and just kind of stare out the window and take photos. 
So like now they can with Twitter they can send those down, and uh, it's become very popular. A lot of people follow those. Yeah, that's cool. I'm imagining like someone sneaking on like a, a uTorrent client and trying to download like the latest <laughs> Game of Thrones or something for like three days straight. <laughs> no, for that they away. they do send DVDs up for when they're exercising. Oh, do they? Yeah, yeah. That's they awesome. Have, they have movies because um, they they have to spend two or three hours a day exercising, or they're supposed to at least. Uh, so they they run on treadmills and they do you know various other uh, kind of exercise, and it's pretty tedious stuff because it's it's more about just the amount of time, especially because they're trying to get their heart rate up. Um, and so they just spend a lot of time doing that. And so they, they do have movies and stuff like that. You know, sometimes they have books, uh, books on tape are pretty popular, you know, audible, I'm sure gets a lot of workout up there. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. When I read his question, you know, I was thinking, you know, along the lines of the TV thing, I was like, yeah, I wonder like if they tried to, you know, like they were able to watch the Super Bowl or something, you know, not watch a lot of TV, but maybe these like bigger things, but yeah, probably not then. So I think for, for special events like that, sometimes they, uh, you know, they find a way to do it through the internet. Oh yeah, sure. That makes sense. Or maybe after the fact, I mean, they're on a kind of a weird sleep schedule. It's like halfway between Houston time and Moscow time as a compromise because they have mission control centers in both cities and they're on the opposite sides of the world. <laughs> right. so, so, and ISS, I mean, ISS sees a sunset, a sunrise every 90 minutes. So um, they kind of get to choose whatever arbitrary day night cycle they want because they're not, you know, they can't go by the natural one when they're up sure. there. So yeah, they're on a weird time zone, but uh, it works. All right, and then I wanted to ask, because I think we're nearing the half hour. Yeah, This went by really stuff. fast. What's that? This went by really fast. Yeah, it did, for sure. I mean, it just, they always do. I feel like even the first one, it, was like, it just flies by. Um, but I wanted to ask if there's something people should be sort of on the lookout for. I mean, not, you know, within the next year, but let's say within the next, I don't know, 15 to 20 years. Some, is there any breakthrough that might reignite people's interest in space again, you know, the way it was in the 60s. Is there anything on the horizon that, that people can sort of look forward to? Yeah, I'd say within the next five years. Okay. Um, you're going to see commercial space flight. So it's it's already started. I mean, SpaceX sent the Dragon capsule up to the station last year. That was the first time a commercially built and owned – that was the main thing, commercially owned vehicle – uh, had docked with the space station and delivered cargo under a NASA service contract. And they're going to go again in April. And then again, I think another time later in the year. Um, and then, you know, going on and then within probably the next four to five years, um, a, a few different companies are building vehicles that will take humans up to the station. And those will be privately owned vehicles. So the, the difference is that NASA doesn't own it. NASA just buys the seats, and presumably for a lot less than they're paying the Russians right now. Right. Um, and that alone probably won't be a huge difference to the public because it still looks like a NASA mission. You've got this vehicle full of NASA astronauts. They're going up to the NASA International Space Station, and they're doing the same kinds of things. The vehicle will look different, so there'll be a lot of attention because, hey, it's a, it's a new space shuttle or it's a new Apollo capsule you know, or something that looks like those. Um, but the mission will be pretty similar, and, and the, the thing that's really going to capture the imagination is, is basically like the Spaceship One and the, the Lynx uh, X-Core stuff, because uh, these guys are building vehicles that go to space, but they don't go to orbit. So they go up to space, and then they, they basically shoot straight up on a, on a rocket. And then they, they go up as high as they can, and at the very top of their peak, they're at zero velocity. 
and they stay they hang up there for a couple of minutes because there's not a whole lot to bring them down like there's drag from air but the air is so thin up there that it it takes a while for it to slow it down and start to bring it back back down again um and so then they'll tip their noses forward and then they'll they'll come in all the way back down and it will be a very scary ride <laughs> a very scary steep ride gliding all the way back down to earth um but while they're up there at the very top they will be at they will be in basically free fall so you'll be able to get out of your seat presumably uh at least in some of the vehicles and float around and i mean you will be in space you will see the curvature of the earth and um it'll be kind of like the Alan Shepard flights from um from um the very very early 60s and um you know i think that's going to be really exciting for people and those flights are those vehicles are being designed to do that for about $10,000 a trip or no 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 excuse me it's about 100 100 to 200,000 dollars per trip um which is a hell of a lot of money but it's <laughs> yeah. a lot cheaper than millions and billions of dollars that it has been in the past and there's a lot wider market and the idea is that as they do it more and more it becomes cheaper because of the economy of scale from producing the rocket engines and the vehicles and then also it will introduce enough excitement that more competitors will come in and then something terrible will happen and the government will get involved and then they'll get set back a year while they investigate i mean this is this is how things go but this is basically the it mirrors very much the beginning of commercial airlines back in the 20s and uh and that that's kind of the model that everyone's trying to follow they're trying to do it in a safe way but also an affordable way and that's when like Real people, I mean, rich people, yes, but people who are not trained, who are not, you know, military astronauts, they're not even civilian trained uh, NASA astronauts, just regular people who happen to have a lot of money, mm -hmm. uh, including, I'm sure, a lot of, like, you know, lottery winners and people like that, will be able to go to space. And then space becomes a very different concept in the popular culture than it is right, right now. It, it becomes no longer a government program. It becomes a place that you can go on vacation. Exactly. It becomes accessible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and that's going to be a really big deal. And it's been on the cusp of happening for a while now. But the, the Spaceship 2, which is probably going to be the first one to do it, has been delayed for various reasons. They had a bad, really bad accident out at Scale Composite in California, and they've been recovering from that and making some modifications. Probably, it looks like, I guess the last thing that I've seen in the news is that sometime in 2014, they should start actual commercial flights. And they're totally booked up. They have been for a long time. They've got deposits from like 500 people. Um, but they're going to start sending up a lot of celebrities and, you know, athletes and very famous rich people are going to go up there. They're going to come back and go on David Letterman and talk about it. Sure. That is the next really big deal, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Athletes, especially. I, mean, I, <laughs> yeah. definitely I mean, right? You just see like LeBron James tweeting pictures from space or something. I mean, that's, that does, that makes sense. And then you're right. It, it just sort of catches on and, and builds from there. And then eventually it's a ride at Six Flags. He probably won't tweet from space because I don't think those vehicles will have well, the uh, satellite connections to do that's it. That's true. And they won't be up there for very long anyway. So, but he's going to take the pictures and tweet them when he gets back and down. Tweet, when he lands. Absolutely. Yeah. And it'll be like skydiving. Like it'll be a really scary thing that you'll have to psych yourself up for, but it's hopefully relatively safe. You know, it's something that people will actually aspire and want to do. And then eventually we'll have videos of people getting married in free fall oh, and all dude. this kind of stuff. Playing Monopoly, <laughs> you, everything you can think of. Yeah. For sure. It's going to be awesome.
So look forward to that. Any rich listeners that we have, uh, let us know your plans. And uh, maybe, you know, buy a ticket for a couple of us here. We wouldn't mind it. Hey, Scott, we should do another one of these pretty soon because we, we, we only got through like half the questions and they're really, there's some really good ones. So I, I want to do this more. Cool. Yeah, maybe within the next month or so even we'll, uh, we'll come back and revisit this. And uh, if you have any questions that you didn't already submit, you can always do so at connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com uh, or through the Nintendo World Report forums or even just tweet myself or uh, Dr. Jonathan Metz here. For sure. Uh, I, I'm, I'm OK Soda. Johnny, what's your uh, Twitter handle? I'm Johnny Metz with no H and no Z. There you go. Easy enough. And two N's. And, um, yeah, well, thanks for being here. I'm sure you don't mind coming on to, to talk about this no, stuff. So. I love this, man. <laughs> it wasn't a chore. And, um, yeah, we'll uh, talk to you guys later. Peace. Bye. Excuse me, Dr. Aldrin. I'm sorry, there wasn't a door, so I just... I don't believe in barriers because I always break them. I see you. I see what you're doing. Return to the night. You've no business here. Are you yelling at the moon? I'm sorry. She and I just... I get mad sometimes. What am I doing? I'm sorry if I've disappointed you. Would you like to yell at the moon with Buzz Aldrin? Yes, please. I own you. You dumb moon. I walked on your face. Don't you know it's day? Idiot.